At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Ubug, the world's largest photo contest community with creative tools to help you take your photography to the next level. Viewbug hosts hundreds of photo contests and challenges in a friendly community for photographers. Get your creative juices flowing, build your portfolio, and get rewarded with awesome prizes and opportunities to get exposure worldwide. Check exclusive deals and join their photo contests for free on viewbug.com. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. This episode is an interview with film photographer Ben Robson. He worked as a photojournalist for many years and later fell in love with analog photography. He has an impressive collection of vintage cameras and an even more impressive way of developing his film. We talk about his background in photojournalism, tips for beginners in film, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi, Ben. Please feel free to introduce yourself to the listeners. Hey, Taya. Thanks so much for having me. It's um, a real privilege to be asked. Um, a little bit nervous. I don't do a lot of this uh, sort of speaking. and My first podcast, actually. So uh, it's very exciting. Um, but as for me, I'm originally from the UK. Grew up in the Middle East and the UK. Spent a lot of time in between the two. Then I studied English literature at the University of London, which is where I had a scholarship to come to study in Australia. And that's where my future wife, now wife, so yeah, I finished my degree in the UK, came back to Australia, and I've been living and working here ever since. I spent 10 years as a journalist and part of that time as a, a photojournalist working on travel magazines, local newspapers, and sports desks, really. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting career at that point. Um, I don't do that anymore. I'm in, in sort of more in the, uh, the marketing world and do photography sort of on the side. Um, it would be nice if it was more than sort of a side hustle as it were but um you know it's a, it's a passion it's what i do just to take my mind off things as well um so yeah that's really me in a nutshell that's a really awesome introduction you have a really cool uh, background in photography and i think we'll have a lot of interesting things to talk about because of that yeah. 
what equipment do you use? Ah, yes. No, I was going to tell you about that. Sorry. Um, so essentially because of the journalism, I uh, got myself into Canons because uh, um, newspapers that, well, the newspapers I was working on use Canon and I knew that I, uh, I could steal their lenses and, well, sorry, borrow their lenses whenever <laughs> they were available. So yeah, I just had to sort of buy myself a body and a cheap sort of 18 to 55 and a 50 mil lens. Um, and then, yeah, I had access to some pretty snazzy um, lenses, you know, like the 70 to 200, which is a, a beautiful lens. Some of the, I think there's a 400 mil lens I, I took out once to uh, actually the, the AFL grand final here in Australia. Um, don't know if your listeners will be familiar with the AFL, but, you know, you've got a, a stadium with 100,000 people and me with this lens that's probably about as big as I am. Um, so, yeah, that was great fun. But um, really, as I was saying before, me, you know, my passion is film photography. I started off with a, a little Yashica mat uh, that my parents bought me for my birthday one year. It's just somebody had uh, fixed it up and put sort of red leatherette on it. So it looks like it's uh, like a little Ferrari. It's just so sleek. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't take the best photographs. But it, it really introduced me to the world of, of film photography. Um, so now I'm a bit of a hoarder. So I use uh, mostly a Mamiya C330. I've got a Mamiya RB67. I've got a beautiful Roliflex, which has come in its original leather briefcase and you know has a real sort of family history to it um, not my family history but a history to it and that's what i really love i love these old tactile cameras and sort of thinking you know who owned these things who were they photographing and and the nice thing about the the roliflex is it actually uh, came with a little notebook that the grandfather of the family got it from had kept notes of you know who had photographed and what settings he'd used and it was really quite sweet i mean it, it was just unfortunate he didn't he you know sort of it didn't go into a lot of depth i mean i say unfortunate i mean it's there's sort of um, interest in prying, I suppose. But anyway, um, I also have a Leica M5 uh, and a Toyo 4x5 Bellows camera. So I'm sort of, my formats seem to be getting bigger, uh, you know, going from 35mm up to 4x5. And I'm now eyeing off uh, 8x10s, which is a bit of an issue because <laughs> that's more money and more space taken up by cameras. Oh, that's awesome. It's really cool that you have so much experience with different film cameras and digital cameras. And uh, the listeners have probably already come to the conclusion that you're primarily a film photographer. What inspires you to get into this genre specifically? Um, well, it was sort of reverse engineered. I, um, uh, as I said, I, I sort of um, started in uh, as a journalist with Canons. And well, actually, scratch that. To begin with, uh, I guess I'm, I'm old enough to remember the days before digital. You know, I was one of those kids that had a camera and you take a bunch of photos. And uh, I remember sending away the, uh, you know, your canister of film. And a couple of weeks later, you photographs would come back and they were all terrible and you you know you didn't know why there was no sort of reference as to what settings you take and what the lighting was like you just got a whole bunch of and so you sort of interest really sort of wasn't there but because as a journalist I was working on um in the hierarchy of things you know I was working in the lesser sort of area so you you know in the hierarchy of things you've got news photography is first then sport then features and I was generally features so I was the last on the you know the rank and if there's no photographers they'd say Ben, here's a camera, off you go. Mm -hmm. So really that's how that sort of started was, you know, uh, going out as a journo and, and meeting people, taking photographs, tinkering, talking to the photographers. We had some really talented photographers and, and, and sort of picking their brains on the settings, how to use the camera properly. That was what sort of began my interest. Mm -hmm. um, and then really it was, like I said, it was that Yashica mat that sort of really started things. But then an old friend of mine, he's a, a barista. So he used to come around to the newspaper that I worked at and we'd go down and have coffees and what have you. He um, he was a, an old film photographer, you know, back in the day. And he 
had this collection of cameras and he introduced me to the Mamiya C330, which is this beautiful TLR. So a TLR is a uh, twin lens reflex. So uh, as opposed to your normal digital SLR, which is a single lens reflex, this is twin lens. So what you do is you flip up a, a little mirror so that it has two lenses. The bottom lens takes the image. The top lens has a mirror, which you look down from sort of, it's basically, you know, you're looking down to waist level. And it's just a beautiful way of seeing the world. You know, I, I just loved the way that you could sort of see a scene or see a person's face on glass. And there's just something beautiful. And I mean, again, you know, you step up into that four by five sort of realm and you see a, an inverted and four by five upside down image on a sheet of glass. And it, there's just something magical about that moment. And it's just, if I could capture that moment rather than, you know, the sort of the, the end result, which is, you know, a, a sort of flat negative or, a, you know, a, a digital rendering of that. Um, you know, if you could capture that, just that beautiful essence of the glass, that, that would just be a sort of magic to me. But yeah, essentially it was, um, uh, my friend introduced me to the C330 and um, I never gave it back. I mean, I, I paid him for it, but you know, it was, uh, um, it was just, I've used, it's been my go-to camera for so long and it just produces, you know, just particularly with people, it just produces a, a rendering of the eyes, which is just gorgeous. You know, if you capture them just right, you get a, a real sense of soul. And I think that's what I really love to try and do. And then the, the sort of the more I've taken the film on and, the, you know, as you expect, you know, when you first start out with film, you, you sort of send away your, your cartridges or, your, you know, your rolls of film. And, um, but as you get into it, it becomes more about taking over the process. So you try and then go from taking the image on film to developing the image yourself to scanning it yourself or, you know, rendering that in a, um, a physical print. Um, so, yeah, just taking that whole process from start to finish is something that I ended up feeling that, you know, was um, something, you know, that really grabbed me about that sort of process, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel that film photography is much more immersive than digital photography because it's so physical. It can yeah, be very it's, fulfilling it's, for a lot of photographers. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's process driven. And that's the thing. You, you, I mean, it's a ridiculous thing, thing to say. And it's not entirely true. You feel more of the artistic process i suppose because of the a you have a little bit more control but b there's also an element of surprise because at any single point something could have gone wrong you know you take the image there could be light leaks you could have got the settings wrong and you have no way of reviewing that immediately um when you process the film you know your, your chemicals could be not quite right or you might not have got the temperatures correct so again something could have gone wrong and then you know the very end process when you yeah. um, when you do the scan mm -hmm. um you know, that again, there's just so many variables. It's crazy. It does your head in sometimes. It is. It's absolutely crazy. And I really like that on your website, you mentioned that you develop your film using an interesting technique. So you use instant coffee, washing soda, vitamin C powder, and a few other things. It's a really interesting way of approaching film photography. Could you please tell me more about this process? Absolutely. So the process itself, it's a recipe called caffeinol, caffeinol C. And there's a whole bunch of these recipes out there in, in the world at the minute. You know, it's, um, it actually started out in um, around 1995, I think it was, um, from the Rochester Institute of Technology. Uh, so they were looking for alternative methods or alternative recipes for, for developer. Uh, and they came across, um, oh, they were experimenting with tea and coffee. And it turns out, you know, the, the fennels and coffee, they work pretty well. Um, it takes a bit of experimentation, even individually. So I found that it doesn't particularly work very well with 35 millimeter. I found, well, this is from, you know, from my perspective. Um, I found that it favors Fujifilm, Acros 100. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the vast majority of my work is using 
Fujifilm Acros, you know, Neopan Acros 100. And that particular recipe that you mentioned with 10 teaspoons of instant coffee, seven teaspoons of washing soda, uh, and one teaspoon of vitamin C powder in 24 ounces of water. And then you can use water and vinegar for stock. And people have even found all sorts of weird and wonderful ways of using fixes. Like, I think, I mean, this is off the top of my head and I could be completely wrong, but, you know, using seawater for, you know, several hours as a fixer. Um, but I, I just use normal chemical fixer. But essentially, the reason why I do it is because I'm cheap. Um, you know, you can buy a bag of washing soda for a couple of bucks from the uh, supermarket and you can, you know, buy a huge tin of instant coffee. And I have a friend of mine who says, you know, cheaper the better, you know. I mean, for me, I use, I don't know if I should mention brands, but I, I use a, a very popular brand of coffee and it, it works great. I like the, the formula. And to my mind, the developed film is no different to any other developer. And again, that's down to experimenting with film stocks and with different recipes of caffeinol. Uh, but yeah, essentially, I found a film, uh, you know, I found that I could save quite a lot of money by not having to buy developer. But the only issue is now that I'm sort of experimenting with larger formats and different types of film, now I'm actually going out and having to buy actual developer. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, your film isn't cheap. And that's the, the unfortunate thing about these things is that you still have, you know, you just have to sort of find ways of, of saving money where you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, um, there's, I, I've put the process down on my website. So if anybody wants to have a look at it, it's, and feel free to get in touch if, if anybody wants to sort of have some, some tips. But I mean, like I said, you know, these days, oh, not these days, you know, so many people are experimenting with different developing processes. You know, I saw one the other day where somebody was using wild purple basil as developer or using wine, um, you know, tea. It's just, it's almost limitless out there what products people are actually putting together to attempt. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing is, like I was saying, you know, I, I produce a negative that I'm happy with. And it's not being tainted. It doesn't come out brown. It's not got odd contrasts on it. It's just a nice, clean negative, which is why I've sort of stuck with that recipe and with, mm-hmm. with that film. But of course, film photography is all about experimenting. So you have to get out there and try different film stocks and different developers, whether organic or not organic, but sort of more natural, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing. Sorry, just going on about, um, you know, that the idea of sort of the process. I do love the idea that you're producing something that's you know, from scratch almost, you know, you're creating your own developer with almost natural ingredients. And it sort of adds to that sort of sense of the organic nature of art, you know, where again, you know, there's all those other elements of things that could possibly go wrong, but there's also that sort of, it's nice to sort of step away from digital and from the chemical, sorry, it's a chemical process, but it, you know what I mean? It's sort of, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to sort of do something that feels a little bit more organic in a sense. Yes. I agree with you. Yeah, film photography definitely has that organic feel, as we've already discussed, and Mm. I can understand why you like it. And that was a brilliant answer, by the way. I'm sure people are already learning very much, and so am I. I mean, it's cool that there are so many opportunities for film photographers to use different techniques to develop film. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's quite daunting. I mean, I I guess I I haven't sort of been doing film, you know, like, obviously, as a kid, I shot on film cameras, but I wouldn't say I was a film photographer. um, Mm -hmm. But I've been experimenting with film photography for around four or five years. But but I certainly remember just how daunting that feels. You know, you're talking about TLRs, and, you know, you're looking down into a world that's reversed, you know, that because the image is inverted left to right, you know, just Mm -hmm. that sort of simple way of looking at things can trip you up. But then, you know, you've got all these other elements on, on top. Of and people get very precious about these things. And it's, 
I do think that new photographers and people new to analog photography can find it a little bit off-putting, especially talking to other photographers. And there's almost a snobbishness in in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, oh gosh, you didn't know you could use, you know, Kodak D76 on Tri-X. And you're like, well, of course I didn't know that because, you know, there's an absolute world of, and, you know, over a hundred years worth of of history behind these things. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it can be daunting, but it is quite exciting, you know, that challenge, and it's a different challenge. So, And as I said at the start, I'm a hoarder as well, so I, I just love these old cameras. I mean, it's the aesthetics of the camera themselves that I love, um, mm-hmm. even though mechanically I'm not that interested in how they work. Um, I'm quite happy to send them away to have them, you know, fixed or have them, you know, maintained. But, you know, just looking at some of these things, you know, they're, they're just gorgeous objects in their own right. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of photographers use uh, vintage cameras in their digital work because they're just so beautiful. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, um, the the beauty is that they've all got a history. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, my oldest camera is 100 odd years old. So it's, you you know, like I said before, you know, you just wonder who's had it in their hands and what they've been doing with it. Yeah, it would be awesome to see all the pictures that were taken with that specific camera. It would be amazing, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Has working with film affected your digital photography? Um, in the sense that I don't do a lot of digital photography anymore, then yes. <laughs> I um, 90% of uh, my photography is on film cameras. It was, again, as I was saying before, it was sort of reverse engineered. I don't think I would have been as interested in film photography if it wasn't for digital. Because, you know, with digital, you get that immediate response and you can sort of yeah. see where you've gone wrong uh, and work out, you know, the, your shutter settings and your apertures and and what those mean you know um you know reading about them might not necessarily mean a lot to you until you physically see what they do so from that sense that's how digital affected film and unless i'm doing an assignment of some sort then yeah i, I generally don't pick up a, a digital camera anymore mm-hmm. that's um, um, but i mean I, I do i think when i do i think that what film does is make you envisage more you know i think ansel adams talks about this a lot and sorry for dropping names, this is not me saying that I'm in any way, shape or form in their league. But, you know, there's a lot of talk of, of visualization because you have to understand what your ISO, what your film does and how it will react to a particular scene. Um, you have to sort of say, for example, um, with the Mimir, it takes 120 film, which gives you 12 shots. So, you know, with digital, I could take a thousand shots of a B and only get one shot that I like. Mm-hmm. With film, you just don't have that option. You know, you've got 12 shots, and if you get one out of those 12, then, you know, you, you're doing well. So, you know, it, it really sort of forces you to slow down, picture the scene before you do it, picture what in your mind what you want to produce. So I think, you know, from that, that, is, that perspective, it, it, film really helps photographers sort of learn their craft a little bit more. Again, not saying that, you know, in any way, shape or form that I'm, the, you know, the epitome of that, but certainly I think it helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I completely understand that point of view. I mean, I haven't really tried vintage photography, film photography very much, uh, but I can imagine that it does make you more patient and maybe makes you more determined as well. So. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, um, well, the bees are a good example. I mean, I, I love wildlife photography and um, I went through an obsessive period where I was trying to get the perfect image of a bee in flight. And as you mm-hmm. can imagine, those things don't stick around. So um, as an old photographer friend of mine said, you know, you, if you throw enough poo at the wall, some of it's bound to stick. And that's the way it is with digital mm-hmm. photography. You know, sometimes it's, it's more a question of, you know, really filling a, a memory card, which can take, you know, 
thousands of photographs these days and, and sort of eliminates that thought in a sense. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. Yes, exactly. Well, what is something that every analog photographer should know, in your opinion? Um, I think that it's uh, really a question of not being daunted. Like I was saying before, you know, it's mm -hmm. it's very easy to be put off by the amount of cameras and the language of, of analog photography and the amount of film out there. Because, I mean, there, there is actually still quite a lot of, you know, film available, which is brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and you can produce, you know, really good stuff without a lot of money. And I think, you know, a lot cheaper than a data kit for, a, you know, a digital camera. You can pick up an old TLR, you know, online. You can create your own developer for next to nothing. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really a question of getting stuck in and patience, you know. You have to have the patience and sort of that inquisitive nature, I suppose, to really try all those different films and try all the different developers and, you know, understand the camera itself and sort of see how all those things fit together to create something. Sorry, also, I think um, mentorship is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, in my career, I've always placed a lot of value in passing on knowledge, but also been soaking up knowledge where you can. You know, as I was saying about the, um, the photographers of the newspaper and just hassling them constantly, hey, what does this mean? You know, if you can align yourself with a even a single photographer and just really sort of learn and shadow them, that's just the kind of experience and knowledge that you can't buy, really. So I encourage people to sort of really look at other people's work um, and find somebody that they admire and sort of reach out to them. You know, a lot of people, especially in this digital age, are, are so connected that it's it's really easy to do that. Yes, I agree with you completely. And I know that I, I mean, this answer is not related to film photography per se, but it's still within that world. And I remember having a few mentors that I really looked up to. And without them, I wouldn't have been where I am right now because they were very patient. And they explained a lot of things to me that I maybe wouldn't have even been able to find in an article or in a video, especially 10 years ago. So it is super important to have a mentor, at least a couple maybe of mentors who can give you a variety of information that you can use to enhance your work and I don't know, answer questions that you've been asking for a very long time but couldn't find the answers to anyone. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, my granddad had a phrase, you know, um, a self-taught man is, uh, is taught by a fool. And that's, unfortunately, that's been me for the majority of my career. But it's true, you know, um, knowledge is there to be shared. Exactly. Yeah. Don't be afraid of reaching out to people, especially as, as you said. I mean, it's important to understand the power of today's world where it's everything is digitalized and we can reach out to so many people and so many people are willing to reach out to us right back and, and reply to our messages. And I feel like it's a, it's a very important resource in a way. 
that we need to use as arbiters, especially for beginners in some genres. So yeah, the listeners should definitely learn from that. Absolutely. If you could get any film equipment that you wanted for free, what would you ask for? Time. Does that count? I need more yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and a bigger brain to to take all this knowledge in. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> it, it's filled with useless information at the minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's like all these things, you know, I just wish I could dedicate more time mm-hmm. to film photography, which unfortunately, with a full-time job and two little children and, you know, all these things, I mean, a lot of people would be in, a, in the same position. You know, you have to make time to do these things. But in terms of equipment, I desperately need a uh, a good tripod. You, you know, a, a good tripod is uh, is essential, especially for um, for the larger formats, the, the bigger you go and the, the, the slower the lenses seem to, to be. So you, you really need some, you know, something sturdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, as I said, I, I think the bigger you go, the kind of that hoarding mentality makes you want to go bigger still. So I, I really, really want a uh, 8x10 camera now, which means mm-hmm. uh, yeah, <laughs> saving up a little bit more. And also, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I'm looking more and more into contacts printing. So I use, you know, because the four by five negatives are so big, mm-hmm. you can get a, you know, hundred percent size print just using a, a sheet of glass, the negative, a piece of board behind it, and then just a, uh, I use a, a lamp that I bought at a uh, local hardware store for twelve dollars, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, you can do your, your contact printing that way. And because the negative is so large, it produces a, a rendering that's actually quite acceptable. But again, that acceptability is sort of negated by the fact that you want to sort of produce now prints that are 8 by 10 which means 8 by 10 negatives which means bigger cameras but anyway that's on the wish list yeah well i hope you uh you get to buy those things in the near future because i'm sure that you'll be able to take incredible photos with that equipment yeah thank you it'll be fun Uh, speaking of really good photographs your digital photos of pets and wildlife are phenomenal how do you take Thank sharp you. photos of animals and how do you make them feel comfortable in your presence? Um, patience. We, we touched on that before. Um, mm-hmm. You know, animals are like kids, but smarter. You know, mm-hmm. you, they sort of like to do their own thing. Um, so the pets, I'm really lucky in that my sister-in-law actually breeds Great Danes and Pugs, which mm-hmm. are, you know, the opposites are just so ridiculous. It's brilliant. And so I have quite a lot of opportunities and to see these puppies and Great Dane puppies are the best things. They're just so beautiful and they, mm-hmm. they're sort of, they're so slow moving in a sense that is you can almost get a you know it, they give you a little bit more time to sort of set things up. So you need patience. You need people who are willing to help. Uh, I've got one picture in mind where I've got a lineup of three Great Danes on a on a couch looking in one direction. So you need somebody you know holding a squeaky toy or something. So mm-hmm. like I said, they're like kids. You know you need to sort of grab their attention somehow. Fast shutter speeds, knowing your camera and actually working in manual so you can sort of select an ISO which is suitable for the lighting conditions but also isn't going to produce too much grain. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want a, a, as low an ISO as possible. But yeah, again, sort of it's all about experimenting and cheating in a sense. You know, um, as I said, I'm, I try and do things as much on the cheap as I can. So I, I actually had a friend holding an off-camera flash for me behind a picture frame which I'd taken all the insides out. So, you know, no glass and no picture in there and just pasted baking paper, mm-hmm. uh, two sheets of baking paper in front of the flash. And it just gave you this lovely sort of soft, diffused light. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a question of experimenting. Again, it's animals is really taking lots of shots because what you're trying to do is capture some sort of expression as well. And you only get that in those sort of off moments where that sort of their little personality shines through somehow. You know, um, mm-hmm. Elkie 
von oh gosh i've forgotten her surname but she does these beautiful pet portraits with animals and all sorts of expressions you know because they're trying to catch food or she's you know it's really you know the faster your shutter speed and the more pictures you can take the more you can select an image where you can really sort of see um well it's it's really people assigning characteristics on animals but you know it's what we do but in terms of wildlife it's kind of the opposite you know you, you want to be as far away as possible so that they don't not even aware that you're there mm-hmm. so long lenses i mean that the longest lens i have is a 70 to 200 so i mean it's not huge but i mean you know with a little bit of a crop and a bit of creativity and with, with that use you can still sort of get away with that so yeah you, you really need i mean i know it's the equipment that you have and people bang on about you know the equipment isn't everything but you know really if you want super sharp images you you need a really good piece of glass that can sort of take mm-hmm. um keep up with these things but sorry just going back to the pets um again i suppose it's capturing them in their sort of comfort zone you know that you, you mentioned actually making them feel comfortable you know just by me going to their home and taking photographs there, nothing's out of the ordinary to them. You know, they're, they're just mm-hmm. sort of doing their own thing and acting their own way. And I know I've seen photographers doing the same thing with cats, you know, and capturing these beautiful moments where they're doing mid-yawn, which I, I'd love to do with our cats, but our cats are completely unphotogenic, horrible <laughs> little things. Um, but now, you know, this moment, you know, they'll sort of almost creep up on them and, and sort of, it's like they're in safari, but in their own backyard, you know, you can sort of see the grass sort of up against the lens and, and then they'll sort of make a noise. And, and, you know, when you sort of disturb a cat from its sleep and it sort of looks up, the first thing you know it's going to do is yawn. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of, you know, you, you really need to sort of know the animal and, um, and how they're going to you know, react to sort of, you know, squeaky noises or, um, you know, you waking them up or, you know, but obviously never condone you know, doing something to an animal that it's not happy with. Um, of course. But certainly, um, it's again, it's sort of finding those cheats, you know, um, I've taken some images of the big, you know, big four game life without having ever been to Africa, you know, so, you know, you do what you can, you know, you go to zoos, go to um, wildlife sanctuaries, and certainly with birds, I mean, I'm a big bird lover, and we're, we're spoiled here in Australia, we've got some amazing birds, and some of the, the sanctuaries for, for, for birds here are just superb, and, you know, because, again, they're comfortable because you're sort of going into an environment that they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great opportunity to sort of really get your lens close to, to some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like the answer, your answer, and I really like the tips that you gave, especially regarding pet photography. You have to have an assistant. You need to capture expression, and of course, uh, avoid bothering the animal too much. So I think those are really great tips, especially for people who uh, maybe don't have access to wildlife but still want to take great photographs of their pets. Mm. And I'm a big advocate for good zoos. You know, um, you know what a good zoo means and, and what it means to the animals. You know, if they're being treated right, and you know that you can tell if, and I believe, you know, you can tell animals are happy or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if, if you can find areas like that, then of course, you know, I think it's really good to support those places as much as it is to use them to you know improve your photography. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And you've also taken many beautiful photos of your family. Many of your subjects are your own children. I know that taking photos of children can be challenging because they're really energetic and they find it difficult to sit still. Do you have any tips for photographers with children or young family members who want to take gorgeous lifestyle photos? Uh, yeah, for me, it's more a question of, as I was saying, you know, time. Unfortunately for me, I love cameras and but photographing things, but I don't generally get to sort of necessarily leave the house a lot. So, you know, the, the nearest thing to me, you know, oftentimes are the kids. So um, I, I don't know if anybody does look through my images and see my long-suffering children, you'll see some interesting expressions. And I think that 
in a sense, that's what makes the image is the fact that you can see one of my favorites is a test shot with um, the RB67 when I got that. And I set that up and got my oldest girl to come along and sit down. And you could see how she did not want to be there. She was completely miserable. You know, <laughs> but that sort of comes across as emotion in a sense. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. um, so try and capture those moments, you know, if they're annoyed and anxious and not sitting still for you, you know, that's still going to produce an image that is actually probably more you know, produces more of a story, I suppose, than, than a straight sit down, smile at the camera. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but on, you know, even by that token, I, I think setting up your area first, you know, looking at the light, how you're going to set up the shot, have the camera if you can on a tripod ready to go. So the kid doesn't have to sit there for any period of time, because like I was saying with animals, you know, they have no attention span whatsoever. If you can distract them whilst they're sat down, Right. But I think one of the biggest things perhaps is um, is natural light. I just use, we have a glass door in the hallway, uh, which lets in the afternoon light in a really nice sort of diffused way. Um, so <laughs> it's ridiculous, but we have a, a bedroom door that sort of sits off the hallway. So I, I plonk myself and the camera in the, in the doorway and shoot back into the hall with the, the white wall as a backdrop. So, I mean, you know, that's as simple as it needs to be. It's, you know, you don't have to sort of invest in backdrops and lighting and all sorts of this that and the other and in fact you know going back to the sort of the baking paper you know you can use strips of tinfoil sheets against a a roasting tray or something and you can use that as a a sort of as a a little bit of a you know light filler so you can sort of go on the other side of the natural sunlight coming in and just use something like that just to bounce a bit of light back into the subject so you know it's um you know, keeping it simple with kids is, is probably the way to go because you don't want to sort of detract from the subject, but you also want that sort of natural light to play on the innocence that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can tell straight away when an image is taken with flashes. It just sort of has a different sort of a different feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, like I said, kids are, I mean, it's great to have them and it's great to have a subject that you can go to. But, yeah, again, it's just a question of uh, being patient with them and, and experimenting. I mean, they'll be far more shots that I've had to throw out because they haven't played ball than, you know, then I've got something that I'm happy with. Mm -hmm. I really like what you said about using natural light, because I think a lot of photographers nowadays feel pressure to have the latest equipment or to use very backdrops. And I think natural light oftentimes works really well and you can use it to take all kinds of incredible photographs at home, especially. Yeah. That's one thing that everybody has is a window. Exactly. There's, nothing better than window light you know even if it means that you have to get your subjects right up to the window at a particular time of day it's just a question of observing how the light sort of plays at various times of day you know through different windows in your house and you can go well actually yeah i know that the sun's going to go straight down over there and it's going to come streaming in through the hallway so i can use that space yeah it's just again i mean i guess it's back to that sort of notion of film photography and sort of stripping back to the basics is is observing light is probably the most important thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with you completely. What is the most valuable lesson you've learned as a photographer? Um, the most valuable lesson would probably be, I think we talked about it before, um, mentorship, you know, and it goes both ways. You know, it's so important to sort of encourage anybody. I mean, youngsters coming through, I mean, I, I was probably in my mid-30s when I picked up a film camera, you know, so anybody with that sort of spark of passion, I think is really important to sort of, fan that, that initial interest and sort of see what flames will come from it. Um, but also, you know, on the flip side is, you know, talk to other photographers. I, um, you know, recently joined a, um, a local gallery, which is uh, a community dark room, you know, so it has all these really interesting 
exhibitions and photographers, but also has surprising online, well, you know, all these Zoom meetings these days, mm-hmm. has on, online lessons with how to prepare a statement for a gallery, you know, if you want to have an exhibition, you know, so that they'll actually talk you through the process of the practicality of, of what you do with your images. You know, I mean, you know, you've got a folder full of stuff now, what do you do with it? And mm-hmm. um, so it's really nice. You're not going to get that kind of interaction and that, that information without actually going out there and making yourself available to these things. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that is an awesome answer. I really like that. Mm-hmm. And studying the history of photography too. You know, you can't go past what has come before you. You know, there's just so many amazing photographers and I love the different sort of genres of photography you sort of, you know, end up taking yourself down. You know, I love Steve McCurry, obviously not too historic, but, you know, Sebastio Salgado, sort of more modern history, I suppose, but, you know, that really reflects our times and that sort of, again, that modern history and how that's come about. But it's also just fascinating to see how they use primarily film and, and how they, they use the sort of lighting conditions in a particular place to produce such stunning works. Um, but then going back to, you know, your, your Vivian Myers and, and sort of that whole notion of found photography, you know, it's a, something that really fascinates me and probably harks back to my days as a journalist. You know, I'm really nosy and sort of interested in how people live their lives and, um, and what they see and how they see things. And I think that's the interesting thing with her is that she often inserted herself in that history. So, you know, it, it was a, an internal conversation that you're now privy to. So, you know, unless you're looking out for the history of photography, you're going to miss, on, miss out on so much. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. It's important to do that. And it's important to familiarize yourself with different photographers from different genres, because I believe you'll learn a lot from that, even if you don't end up pursuing a specific genre. Like, for example, for me, I've written a lot of articles about different genres like landscapes and macro photography, even just uh, wedding photography. And those things are usually they're not within my reach most of the time because I primarily do portraiture. But still, I end up learning something new from them. So I feel like it is very important for every photographer to know that and to, uh, mm. to invest some time in that knowledge because it will help you in one way or another, inevitably. Absolutely. And it's about getting yourself out of that comfort zone. It's like exercise. You know, if you want to mm-hmm. build muscle, you have to push yourself beyond what, you, what is the norm. Yes. Um, you know, for your body. So it's, it's exactly the same with photography. I mean, uh, you mentioned landscape photography. I mean, that's something I don't do a lot of, but I'm really interested in, especially with the larger format. So I know that that's going to be a deep learning curve for me, but uh, it's something that I'm definitely going to push myself towards because it's something that really sort of fascinates me is that notion of capturing a good landscape. But, you know, pushing yourself to do something like a wedding, even, you know, um, I've always said I would never do a wedding. Um, I've now done three, but um, <laughs> the last one was the last one. But it was just the idea that they came to me and said they wanted all film for the wedding. And I just couldn't say no to that. I just thought that's such an interesting challenge. Um, But going back to tips, have someone help you because I did that all by myself. And, uh, you know, carrying a uh, Mamiya C330, a Leica, and it was a Cambo, Bellows camera. And my goodness, it's keeping track of all the different types of film. Never mind the, the film stocks and carrying all this gear. It was just draining, really draining. Wow, that's really but, interesting. As you said, I'm really curious about what the process was like. I mean, taking film photos on a wedding, that's, that's yeah. different, as you said. It's, I mean, weddings can be stressful anyway, but, you know, because you've obviously got that period of time between taking the shot and developing the images, you have no way of knowing if anything's come out until, it, you know, until the very last. Um, so it's a lot of fretting. <laughs> but uh, yeah. uh, again, I mean, it was definitely a worthwhile exercise because you learn so much and you learn so much about working quickly uh, mm-hmm. with film. I mean, having said, you know, this is a process of slowing down, you have to think on your feet and you have to sort of 
really react and, and having a second person would really help because you know if somebody could just hold a camera you know and you need to swap cameras and change film they could worry about that and you can worry about the scene rather than mm-hmm. having to do everything it's uh but no like i said you, you have to challenge yourself and it's the only way to get better mm-hmm, exactly and it's always important to have an assistant especially at weddings and in pet photography there's so many genres that require the use of an assistant like even newborn photography like that's you always need an assistant for that so yeah. Absolutely. It's an important thing to keep in mind. Okay, Ben, my last question for you is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? That's a hard one. I think and it's hard because you don't want to come across as sounding a bit weird and disingenuous, but I, 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 mean, I would really love for, firstly, to develop my art, to really sort of feel comfortable within those realms that I, I work in. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that makes sense. I really want to sort of feel that sort of confidence of being able to visualize something and see it from start to finish and know that whatever camera or whatever film that I pick up, I'm going to be able to achieve. But it would be so nice to be able to sort of make that more of a sort of an occupation. I mean, of course, you know, the, the world of photography and the career of photographer is so different now to 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago. So it's an interesting time to be a photographer. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose that's why. I've been sort of focusing more on my film work is that I think that it almost gives you um, more of a niche in a sense. I mean, it's not, it's a quite a large niche. There are so many people taking up film these days, which is brilliant. Um, yeah. I, I suppose that's in a rambling sense where I would like to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a great answer. I'm sure you'll be able to achieve that because you're doing so well and you're very talented and very persistent. So I have no doubt that you'll achieve all of that. Persistence. That's the, that's the key. Annoy people until they say yes. (laughs) Exactly. Ben, it was really nice talking to you. I learned so much about film photography. Now I'm more inspired than ever to try it out. I've been wanting to give it a shot for a long time. I want to buy a a small vintage camera and develop my own film. Thank you for that boost of inspiration. I do. I I hope you do. It's been fun for me too. Um, Thanks so much for that. Thank you too. I'll leave links to your work in the description. Everybody check out Ben's work. Give him some love. Support his work. Thank you for your time, Ben. Thank you. I hope you learned a lot from the talented Ben. I'm very inspired to buy an analog camera and start shooting now. If you're a photography company that's interested in partnering with this podcast, feel free to reach out to us. We'd be more than happy to collaborate with you. See you next week. Once again, thank you to viewbug.com for sponsoring this episode. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.